0: In the 1960s, Look Magazine published um, an article in their magazine. Let me read a part of it for you. They said, Dehumanization is a patent fact of life. Loneliness increases as the machine symbolized by the computer takes over America. Week by week decreases human contacts, automatic elevators, drive-in banking without visible human tellers, television check-ins at motels. Recorded voices on the telephone, ensuing commands and advice from the ceiling or the walls. Television lectures to huge classrooms at universities. My own pessimism, writes the author, is linked to the machine's relentless march across the land, mutilating the green hills, paving the valleys, fouling the sweet air, contaminating the waters, and forcing people to spend their working hours tending to the very mechanical mechanical contrivances which are supposed to serve us the machine does give us something in return convenience and comfort and with these two loud sirens or sirens a nation is losing its soul that was written in the 1960s imagine uh, the person who had the uh, words to articulate such an insight if he could see What's happening now? If he's even still alive, we have been more isolated the last 20 months than the world has ever, on a global scale, seen probably in the history, even more than the Dark Ages, with all of that that's happened. Churches being closed down, businesses being closed down, um, families not being able to hook up because they got caught uh, away from each other for months. But something very fascinating what this writer says is that it does give us two things in return: convenience and comfort. Maybe the two greatest enemies against missions itself: convenience and comfort. When my wife and I were flying um, into America a couple weeks ago, one of the Kenyans who was working at the airport, one of the you know um, the, the guy who checked us in. So we have seen hundreds of missionaries leaving the mission field the last year, hundreds of missionaries leaving. And we are really going to have to, to, to hit a whole new level of mission-mindedness, not just, obviously around the world, but even right here as a Christian being missions-minded, because everything is so uncomfortable. I mean, even the boldest amongst us walking into stores, you know, it's like we're hiding in terror because, you know, we don't want to get yelled at for having our mask on wrong. I've been sneaking in and I just got to the States two weeks ago and I went to Walmart. I snuck in the side door so I didn't have, have to have anybody tell me to put a mask on. And so I'm trying to walk around like I own the place, pretending like I'm the general manager or something. And, you know, people are yelling across, put your mask on. And, you know, this fear accumulating, uh, uh, worry. And with all of this, so many people just, all they needed is a little nudge over the corner to give them a, a reason to justify staying in their jammy pants on Sunday morning and watching an online service. And, and there's no reason to justify not assembling together as God has called us to. And I, I know all the debates around those verses. But there's no reason to justify not gathering together as the body of Christ and continuing to do missions work, to continuing to do missions work overseas, and to do it right here. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 15. We'll just look at a few scriptures. John chapter 15 Let me read for you the first 8 verses. Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch If you abide in me and, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand your word and also apply it to our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In this particular scripture, Jesus Christ is right in the middle of the upper room discourse. This is one of four large discourses that Jesus gives in the Gospels and in his life and ministry. One of four. The first one, the Sermon on the Mount, that glorious, most excellent sermon ever preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You guys remember it. It is, it's, it's this amazing revelation and it's completely authoritative. In fact, at the end of it, it says they were in awe at his speech because he was one who spoke with authority. It doesn't mean he was charismatic. It just means the truth that he shared and the the amplification and clarification of the Sermon on the Mount was clarifying another sermon given on another mount. It was the sermon that Moses gave on Mount Sinai. And they messed that one up bad, didn't they? I mean, they got the Ten Commandments, and they're like, if you do this and do that and do this, then you can be right with God. And they really messed that one up. So he was clarifying that. um, Nobody's right with God on their own. Even if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery or so on and so forth with murder. And that was the first one. Another one was the kingdom parables, that several chapters where Jesus gives parable after parable after parable. And then the third one was um, the sermon he gave on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet discourse, several chapters, or, or that whole chapter in Matthew chapter 24. But here is the upper room discourse, it is chapters 13. 14, 15, and 16. And chapter 17 is that prayer after that upper room discourse. It is unique because the other three were given in public, this one is given just to the 11 disciples. Um, It started out with 12 in the night. You remember they went to the upper room. Judas was there. Then Satan had entered Judas. And right after Satan enters Judas, Jesus says either to Satan or Judas or both of them, go do what you're going to do. And Judas goes into an eternal darkness. He would hang himself before the sun rose the next morning. And so it's just the 11. This is unique because it's just given to them in private. By the time John 15 happens, they have already left the upper room. They're walking down to the garden and they're passing the temple. They'll walk out the gate um, and then they'll cross over the Kidron that was filled with blood because of all the sacrifices during Passover week. They would uh, lead the blood out with thousands and thousands and thousands of animals and it would go down to the Kidron. Jesus is talking about how he's the Passover lamb right as he steps over the, the river. But it, it's likely that Jesus, as he was starting John chapter 15, that either on the temple or one of the gates that there was a vine going into the nation of Israel. And that's how he begins this chapter, I am the vine not the nation of Israel. You can be plugged into the nation of Israel and bear no fruit. And obviously that's true because of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and all those who, you know, weren't of Christ and didn't believe in Christ. And so he begins, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can bear no fruit. If you need a title, if you're a note taker, uh, today's message could be, titled, The Nature of a True Missionary. The Nature of a True Missionary. And the answer is easy. It's not complicated, and I won't wait to the end to give it to you. Um, The nature of a true missionary is somebody who bears fruit. And and by the way, the word missionary could be synonymous. You could just replace it with Christian. The nature of a true Christian, the nature of a true believer, or the nature of a true missionary is, as it's been said before, um, that... We're all missionaries. If you're a Christian, you're called to missions. Missions at your workplace and or whether it be missions in Africa. And I'm not going to talk a lot about Eldoret today. If you want to talk to me about it afterwards, come and 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 give us all your money. We'll appreciate that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of. Um actually give the guy in Rush all your money. I mean, they're in Did you see the map up there? The like, you have all of us, like, piled up in tropical weather, and then Russia is above everyone. It's, it's amazing. I'm impressed with those people. I'd rather be called to Africa, though, than Philadelphia, so you guys are the true missionaries. Though I I, can re, I, I do feel like I fit in here at Calvary Chapel Philadelphia because I'm, I'm an ex-heroin addict, and I think that's like 50% of the church membership. And and so the nature of a true missionary is fruit-bearing. And and I just want to focus on this one thing that it should be very noticed here in this passage of Scripture is that there is a progression of fruit. You have just fruit. You will bear fruit, Jesus says. And then he goes on to say, as you continue to abide and mature in abiding in Christ, that's being... In the vine, you will bear more fruit. And then the progression goes even further towards the end of the, uh, the section we read, and you will bear much fruit. And I think there's a tendency amongst believers, I, I don't think it's like, like theologically we would just say it out loud, like, hey, this is, you know, the fruit uh, is, you know, church people you know just just members and um who go to church but they work out uh, you know secular jobs and it's good and they do great work and then more fruit can be like the pastors of churches who are doing counseling all week long and they're with people and then the much fruit is like Billy Graham or you know pastor Joe Foch or Chuck Smith and and, and missionaries and, and that's how that progression works and by the way that's not at all what Jesus is about that, that that's not his thing that There is fruit that happens that can be so big amongst all people of all walks of life. Jesus never says in the New Testament, you know, fruit is for, you know, just church members, and then more fruit is for the pastors, and much fruit is for the third world missionaries. I just want to let you know, many of us third world missionaries are just there because we couldn't hack it in ministry in the United States. All right? You know who you are. No I'm kidding. They're all great here. It's different. They're all wonderful. My wife said, "Please don't embarrass me before you go up there." It's true. And you know, Jesus doesn't look at fruit that way. He doesn't look at fruit as who has the the you know the most people who's been born again, the most people who are who has the biggest church or the largest crusades. That's not how Jesus. Views our lives. There was a, a time when I wasn't saved, and um, my my mom had got a phone call. She was in a in a nice restaurant. I actually I think I shared this story one of the times I um, was sharing a testimony here. And she had got a, a phone call that I had overdosed on heroin. And being a, a mom who loves me, she went into the the restroom. She was crying, trying to compose herself. It was a nicer restaurant, so there was like a Somebody who tended people in this bathroom. They had like towels and lotions and, you know, whatever, perfumes. And she went to my mom, this old lady, and she said to my mom, she said, What's going on? So my mom told her, My son's a heroin addict. He'd overdosed tonight. He's being rushed to the hospital. We don't know if he's going to live. And so this lady prayed with my mom and she said, I'll be praying for him. And, uh, Two years later, and in the process of the two years, I had already got born again, and my mom was in the same restaurant, walked in the same bathroom, forgetting the whole event where she was crying, and the same old lady came to my mom and said, How's Josh doing? I've been praying for him every day for two years. That's fruit. That is a missionary woman in that bathroom, probably doing more than I ever could in elder at Kenya just an amazing uh, I I didn't get a chance to meet her but I'll see that lady in heaven if I get there I'm kidding and 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 that's not how Jesus is as he sees fruit people and and there's there's many examples in the scripture you know there's those who the word of God falls on good soil and they and they respond to it and they bear much fruit do we have any J.R. Tolkien fans in here? Did, has anybody ever read The Hobbits or The Lord of the Rings? A few of us? Yeah. If you're not a fan, just get out of here right now. Leave the conference and never come back to the church. Well, anyways, do you remember in The Hobbit, The Unexpected Journey, when, when Gandalf, he, he has collected the dwarves, and then if, he found it possible to find somebody even smaller than dwarves, and that was hobbits. They call them Halflings. And he's under this, like, inquisition. Why are you going to try to defeat Shmog, the dragon, and cause up all this trouble? And he says, darkness is taking over the land. we got to do something about it. You guys remember this scene in the movie, for those who didn't read the books? And they're questioning him. Do you remember when Galadriel says, hey, Gandalf, why the halfling? I mean, you know, hobbits are like two and a half feet tall, by the way. Why would you choose this guy to go help you defeat a dragon? And he, he says this line the first time I heard it and the second and third time, I'm just crying. When I'm watching, it's, it's a powerful statement. He says, I don't know. Sauron believes that only great power can defeat great evil. But that's not what I've discovered. Everyday acts of kindness of ordinary folk keep the darkness at bay. Why Bilbo? Because he's small and I'm afraid and he gives me courage. What an amazing line. Gandalf is so wise in the movie, not in real life. And it's really true. Fruit is every day, wherever we are, whether it be in Africa or Asia or really to the uttermost part in Russia. you got to really be saved to go to that area. It's cold, you know. And, and all this fruit accumulates as God's people do things. As God's people look to Christ every single day to have the strength and the boldness, whether they're a halfling. And Gandalf, it's interesting, he says, he gives me courage. You know why? Because if you see somebody two feet tall running in to fight a dragon and we don't run in, then we will be shamed the rest of our lives. And so he picked somebody two feet tall to help him fight so he could have courage. And fruit increases... When our boldness and our lives defy convenience and comfort, when it defies convenience and comfort, it's comfortable to stay in your jammy pants on Sunday morning and watch an online service. It's just not biblical. It, it's comfortable never to share uh, 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 you know, the gospel or be kind to people at work because, and just stay to yourself. It's just not biblical. So I want to give you just seven examples of fruit bearing that could help you become a better missionary. I hope it does. Number one, fruit is resistance and resentment towards sin. Resistance and resentment towards sin. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and the arrogant and evil way. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The interesting part about that is that we have evil in us. I mean, do you guys remember, for, for those who didn't get born again, like when they were really, really young, which I wish I would have. I was 21 when I got saved. And do you remember when those of us who maybe got born a little later, that you had no resistance or resentment towards sin inside of you? you just You didn't feel bad about any of your sin. And then you got born again, and all of a sudden you hate somebody who's inside of you called the flesh. They're like a zombie. They wake up every morning after we go to bed. The flesh. You spend all day killing the flesh, and then he's there in the morning. So there's a part of us that we must hate. It's the evil that would, that would exalt itself against the nature of Christ living in us, represented by the Holy Spirit. And you resist that. And when you do that and the rest of the world is saying no or, excuse me, saying yes to sin, you're at your workplace or you're on the mission field, you know, saying no to sin. And people notice that. I went to a public school in in St. Louis, Missouri when I was growing up. I was a messed up kid. I started doing drugs when I was 11. And because I was in a public school, it was a big school, I don't know why my mind worked this way, but I thought everybody smoked pot. Did anybody who was a druggie ever think that? Like, who didn't smoke pot? There were, th- it was strange. Now, I didn't think they were like weird or anything, but I remember talking to a guy. I, I barely remember anybody's name from high school, but his name was Alan Hughes, and I was like, "Hey, dude, I'm going to smoke a joint after uh, after class. You want to join?" He's like, "No, I don't smoke pot." And I'm not kidding you. was like, huh, what's that like? I mean, you've never smoked pot. I thought everybody did. I, and I, I was intrigued. I said, can you tell me why you don't smoke weed? I mean, don't worry, be happy. You know, that was my mindset. And he said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We were in uh, 10th grade. And I'm saying, you're telling me you say no to, to pleasure because of Jesus Christ? That's interesting. I didn't make fun of him. I didn't think bad of him. I just knew that when he was saying no to the world, I was saying yes, and it really affected me. It's like this guy does not care at all that the rest of us are having a good time with our sin, and he is walking with Jesus. It bore fruit. He was bearing fruit as a missionary in a public school at that time. Incredible fruit. Number two, Fruit is an attitude of the Spirit of God working in and through us. Galatians chapter 5 says, Do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these things. Those of you who work in secular workplaces, can't people drive you nuts at times? And you guys who are in the third world, raise your hand if you're a missionary in the third world. Raise your hand. Missionary. I know some of you. A couple. They've all left. Just... just, See, you're the real missionaries, not these guys. There's a couple of us still here. Do you remember what what it was like to drive in the third world for the first time? It is insane. It is crazy. And those of you who've gone on mission trips, you're like they turn a two lane highway into a 10 lane highway and that is no exaggeration at all and so i'm i'm like filled with you know anger when you hit uh, on the mission field those of you in the third world have you ever seen a white american yelling at somebody at the grocery store you know you've seen it if you've been in the third world we can get so impatient with other cultures and and listen i wish i could say i never lost my my, my temper just it's not our culture it's insane but nowadays cuz i am more part of their culture in many ways i walk over and like who's that crazy white person yelling at the teller i i get people i've been driving around in america they're mad at me because i'm driving like a kenyan you know literally like don't worry be happy without smoking a joint and you you see this this when people get on the mission field Yes, we may have the gospel, and it is the most powerful thing, the truth, but we can be so impatient with people, whether it be in the third world or when we go to work, you know, or we're driving on the road. I had somebody flipping me off last... I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Stay down. <laughs> I had somebody flipping me off in America. They were so mad at me on the road. I've never seen road rage like that in all my life in the third world. You can cut somebody off and hit their car. They'll get out and be like, Hey! And seriously, this guy's flipping him off and cussing at me like, man, I'm sorry, forgive me, you know. They've really taught me patience in Africa. They do things slower. They say that Americans have a watch and Africans have time. And you, you see that if you were to go in whatever mission field you're at, at work, and you're impatient with people, you're not going to bear a lot of fruit, You're not going to bear fruit. You know, the word, the Greek word for patience is hupomone. It means to bear up under a burden. At your workplace, on the mission field, in the third world, wherever it is, you have to bear up a burden and be patient with the people because God has been so patient with us. So fruit is an attitude of the Spirit working in and through us. You will bear fruit when you're patient with people. Number three, fruit is a sacrifice of praise to God. Hebrews 13, 15. The Bible says, Therefore by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Do you know, as a Christian missionary, because those words are synonymous, when you were praising God, you are bearing fruit unto eternity. So when we come, and you're singing songs, you know, and and, and and at church, you are bearing fruit as much as the people leading us in worship, if you're singing. And not just at church when you're singing songs, but when you go out into your workplace or into your mission field, whatever it is, Um, Somebody said earlier, I think it was one of the Markey brothers, um, he said that his wife talks to people uh, as if God is God. Like, he's the truth, you know? It's like, don't mince words. When you're sharing the gospel, especially with a Muslim, and I've been to every mosque in a 30-mile radius in Eldoret Town. It was awesome. And I learned very quickly, the Muslims have a very honor and, and shame culture. They will... They will not respect you if you're timid. Don't go up and be like, hey, you know, well, I believe that, that God is the God of the Bible. The God is the God of the Bible whether you believe it or not. Don't say I believe. Be like, the truth is God of the Bible is God and not Allah. And, you know, be careful and be respectful, but don't mince words, you know. When you're going out praising God in the workplace, when somebody's telling you about something good that happened to them, be like, oh, praise God for that. It doesn't matter if they're an atheist, a Hindu or Muslim, or whatever they are. Praise God openly, because the fruit of your lips, you know, you're, you're bringing fruit when you have praise to God on your lips. I mean, don't be weird and go into... You know, don't be a weird Christian and go into your workplace like over the mountains and the sea. You may turn people off, but praise God with the fruit of your lips. And remember this, and this is good for us at Calvary because we go through the Bible. Praise to God is confined to the divine revelation through Scripture. The more you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever, as the Apostle Peter said, the more you will have fruit as you praise him on your lips. Praise God for being Jehovah Jireh the provider. Praise God for this. So the more Bible knowledge you have, the more fruit you can bear as you praise him on your, your lips. And, and listen, knowledge doesn't always puff up, by the way. Knowledge puffs up when you're prideful. But as a humble servant slave coming to Jesus Christ, you're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you have more to praise him over and have more fruit to bear as a missionary called by Jesus Christ. Number four, fruit increases when we give to those in need. I live in the third world. And there are people, I can go out and find people who haven't eaten in a week all the time. And it's awesome being in that, that atmosphere. It's just wonderful going out and be able to give. But you guys know here in America, people still have needs. People may be more down and out. Yes, America is wealthy and they have much more money than people in the third world. But guys, fruit increases when you give to those in need. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. Isn't that incredible? Now, there's another part to read, but out of all the churches that Paul had planted, only one of them helped him financially go plant more churches? You know that the Corinthians weren't doing. They were too busy getting drunk at the, at communion. It's like they needed money for wine, you know. The Philippians. And then he says this incredible thing. He says, None of you, uh, only you, concerning giving and receiving. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And then he says this thing that is incredible. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek What? the fruit that abounds on your account. I think that there's only a few people. Pastor Joe Foch could get away with this. Like if you brought a $100 bill to Pastor Joe and, and you handed it to him and, and, and he took and put his pocket, he said, you know what? I'm not even most excited that I get the money. I'm most excited for you that you gave the money. I mean, that takes a real genuine Christian. If, like, us missionaries on the table, wouldn't that be kind of an odd thing to say? It's like, listen, you just gave me $500, but you're more blessed than me because you gave the money. (laughs) Thank you. That's what Paul is saying. And he is absolutely genuine. He's not being sarcastic. He's not being in any way like rude. He's saying that as they gave to him, they were bearing fruit in the kingdom unto eternity. They're bearing fruit. Have you guys ever been at work, your workplace, and you found somebody down and out? Maybe they're losing their job. That's been happening a lot lately. You can't even find people that, in fact, they're not even losing their job. They just don't want to go to work. Something that shocked me coming to America the last two weeks, there's signs on like gas stations, $500 signing bonus. It's like, babe, we're leaving the mission field. I'm going to work for Philip 66. It's weird. Be, all the stimulus packages, people don't want to work anymore. Not that I'm going to reject the stimulus package. I want you to know. If we could, uh, never mind. Paul says, hey, hey, I, I'm excited that you gave, you helped in my necessity, but not that the gift made me the most excited, but the fruit on your account. When somebody's at work, guys, and you're able to do it, slip them a $50 bill or 20 Give to those in need. Help people out. You will bear fruit. You will open up people's hearts to share the gospel with them when you bear fruit in these ways. Number five. Fruit is edifying communication. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, So encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. We are bearing fruit when we are encouraging one another with our words. You know what's interesting, and I'm not saying we need to be a bunch of needy Christians, but have you ever noticed how encouraged our children are when we tell them we're proud of them? Like, man, I'm proud of you. It's so funny because our kids, they they don't hide their excitement well. You know what I mean? It's like when you go when I go up to my son, I'm like, Man, you did a good job. You're strong and I'm proud of you. He's like, I'm not saying become a, a flatterer or somebody who's you know, be, not being genuine or sincere, but we never lose that. We need to encourage each other, even as adults. Hey, man, you did a good job. I'm really proud of you. I mean, and point something out. I mean, we—if they get a big head, who cares? I always hear Christians like, "I don't want to say you did a good job to give you a big head." It's like that's not your problem. If I'm going to have a big head, that's my fault. Just give me praise. Encourage each other. Say things about each other. They're doing a good job. We need that. One of, um, uh, kind of, I think he's a non-Christian who I've been enjoying listening to the last year is Jordan Peterson. Anybody listen to Jordan Peterson? He's like a modern day psychologist from Canada who is so, so, he's such an outcast because he basically says, as a psychologist, as a counselor, that people are responsible for their own actions. That's his premise. And if you believe that in secular psychology, you're, you might as well, you, you're going to be thrown to the gutter, man. And, and so, but he, he's been encouraging a lot of young men around the country. He said something that really struck to my heart. He said, do you know how easy it is to encourage a young man? You can do it with one sentence. I'm proud of you. And yet we've never needed a time where people need to be encouraged more than now. Japan has had more suicides in the last 18 months than all of the combined COVID deaths around the world. You, you, and, and I'm sure it happens at this church. We've had horrible things. There has been more teenage pregnancies in Kenya than in the history of Kenyan's uh, nation, and, and it's been about 50 years since independence. One year more than the previous years combined. Tens of thousands of teenage girls are being impregnated. Many are are molestation and rape cases from family members because they're just at home isolated. Terrible things. We need to encourage each other, and as we do this, we are bearing fruit something i notice around the world and i come into america and i walk into a gas station and you look into somebody's eyes who may be the 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 attendant or the clerk at the gas station and it's almost like i'm pretty sure this person may go home and kill themselves today is how depressed they look would it be too much for us christians to spare two minutes encouraging them with our words Would it be too much to bear fruit in that way? Guys, we're missionaries. Let's do it. Say, hey, and don't be weird, you know. You know, don't be like, I'm going to shout, you know, in the middle of the gas station. Bring Pastor Steve. He'll give an interpretation, but if that, just keep to yourself. Be like, hey, I I don't want to be weird, but you look really sad today. Is, Is there something going on? Can you imagine a complete stranger asking you that? There have been such dark times, and the the first speaker, he he said that he can't even believe his wife is still sane after going uh, that whole, what was it, a year or, or many months, she didn't even leave the front door, which by the way, bro, are you serious, she didn't even step out to see the stars one night sneak out? It's truly a miracle especially for women who are American women on the third world mission, they're really heroes. My wife has endured crazy stuff. And, and you know, it's great that his wife is saying, my wife is not. She has gone crazy. Pray for me. I don't know if I'm going to wake up alive in, uh, tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's really amazing. It's amazing but it's only through Christ that, I mean, we've had some of the darkest times in Canada that we've ever had this last year, and we've been there for 11 years. 11 years. We need to encourage each other with our words. Number six, fruit is pure conduct. Philippians one eleven, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory of God. Guys, we have seen the fruit of righteousness all around our Christian lives here here at the church. I mean, just raise your hand if you're an ex-drug addict who got born again. Raise your hand. Well, if you if tomorrow morning there'll be a lot more, I guarantee you. I mean, when when you go from doing drugs your whole life or whatever it may be, you're addicted to pornography or you're just, you know, maybe you never did the drugs. You've just been a jerk to be around your whole life. And then all of that changes and people start noticing righteousness. It affects people big time. It affects people, those people you hang out with. They're, They're like, hey, what's going on with this guy? He's been a jerk or he's been a drug addict his whole life. And now he stopped drugs. He's nice to us. He just asked me how my day was going. What's going on with Josh? Fruit is pure conduct. And number seven. And by their way, there are more than seven. I just thought I would go with the number of completion today. Fruit is bringing people to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 and And, and it, you know it's the power of the gospel unto salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. you know what's interesting i I had a, a um a broken family growing up it's It's really the reason why I was a sinner it wasn't my personal sin at all. Jordan Peterson would disagree with that. No, I was a sinful person, but my dad was one of those guys who was like he would follow Christ for a few years and then he would backslide and you know, into the alcohol and, and different and different things. But I remember growing up, there was this there was this hostility towards sinners. It's like those homosexual sodomites, you know, wicked. Romans one talks about sodomy and those different things. And yes, God is just and He is right to punish them but do you know that the key verse in Romans 1 is not to build up some sort of hatred towards homosexuals it is to say that all of these people who behave like animals can have the power of the gospel completely transform their lives it is powerful have you guys ever noticed when you begin to to bear these fruits and then because you have pure conduct and you're encouraging to people and you may give to somebody in need at your workplace or whatever the case may be, you have a completely open door to share the gospel and you've seen somebody get saved, it is, it's glorious. Have you ever noticed how powerful the gospel is? And I'm not just talking about on a Sunday morning when somebody who's gifted shares the gospel and people come forward. That's awesome. But I'm talking about on the missions field, at your workplace, your family members. When you finally see somebody get saved, it's amazing. And I really think that we, we need to stop being so timid and fearful when we present the gospel to people. We used to do a lot of street evangelism at our church. And I noticed when we would go out, we were like sharing the gospel like, with, with like, the drunkards who are homeless. You know? They're like sitting on the street. They're homeless. And all the people who are already feeling timid, which all of us do, who wants to go talk to strangers? And you know, street evangelism is a small part of evangelism, by the way. But we were doing it. And I noticed that when somebody was in a business suit, or, or maybe like a, a Muslim in full garb, they would avoid those people and go talk to the drunk people who waste three hours of our time. Not that all drunk people do that, so that sounded bad, didn't it? Just 90% of them. No, I'm kidding. And, and they were afraid. Listen, there's no reason to be afraid. Even if somebody's a multi-millionaire, they need Jesus Christ and the gospel is the power unto salvation. You bear fruit when you bring people to Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I shared these things with you is because Jesus says, When you abide in me, you will bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. This is for all Christians. Not just the Billy Grahams, not just this, this is for all Christians. You, get, you may get people to criticize you at your workplace or on your mission field, wherever it may be. But nevertheless, when you do those things, you will bear fruit. Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit, because the gospel is powerful. I heard this quote from Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy, Teddy. It's, it's genius. It's, have you ever noticed in ministry on the third world or at different churches, people will criticize people who are in ministry all the time? Isn't it an interesting, missionary or Christian, that people will criticize you for doing some Christian thing and they've never done that thing? The, Teddy Roosevelt done, said this, the poorest way to live life is to live life with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride and cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to the criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There is no more unholy being, no man less worthy of respect than he who holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief towards all that is great and lofty, whether in achievement or in the noble effort which brings second achievement It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or the woman who is in the arena, the one whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Christians, go out and bear fruit. You may have critics. Listen, if you have no critics, you have no fruit. You have no ministry. And the gospel is powerful. People live in shame. All around the world the gospel is the answer to forgiveness obviously let me end with one of my favorite quotes I know I'm like a one-trick pony because I shared it here before but Malcolm Muggeridge who is uh, was a great journalist he lived through World War One and World War Two and he wrote these powerful words he says we look back upon history and what do we see empires rising and empires falling Revolutions and counter-revolutions. Wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed. Shakespeare has spoke of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. I look back upon my own countrymen in England who are still convinced of what, a, what is a popular song. God who made the mighty will make the mightier yet. I've seen an America more powerful than the rest of the world combined and if they so desired, could have conquered the known world with its military might. I've heard a craze-cracked Austrian announce to the world the establishment of a Reich that would last a thousand years. I've heard an Italian clown say he was going to stop and restart the calendar with his own ascension to power. I've seen a Georgian Brigham in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite as a wiser than Solomon, a more humane than Marcus Aurelius, and a more enlightened than Shoker is amongst us. All in one lifetime, all gone, gone with the wind. England, a tiny island off the coast of Europe, threatened with bankruptcy and dismemberment. America threatened with losing its precious fluids that keep the motorways roaring and the smog settling. Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini, forbidden names in the governments that they founded, all in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. But behind the debris stands the gigantic figure of one man in whom, by whom, and through whom is the forgiveness of sins, the man Jesus Christ. The gospel is powerful. Don't be timid. Have confidence in this gospel and go as a missionary and bear fruit. God bless you and thank you for listening.